Our sermon series is called Put on the New Self. We've been in the book of Colossians chapter 3. Over the past few weeks today, we're going to finish with verses 12 through 17. So if you want to turn there, that would be a, a good place to start. Putting on the new self is something that, that we as all believers are to do. Okay, the old self is old. That's why we call it the old self. And the new self is new. And if we have come to trusting knowledge in Jesus Christ, that he has uh, taken our place on the cross and done something for us that we could not have done for ourselves, then we're supposed to be made new. Amen? Amen. Salvation is the work of God alone. I want you to know that. Okay? Salvation is the work of God alone. There is not anything that we did in order to receive our own salvation. We were, what? Dead in our sins. What do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. God in his infinite wisdom sought after us, called us, and brought us to himself. He gave us Christ's righteousness and because of that, he has declared us justified in his sight. That's a huge deal because our greatest problem was our sin and where we were headed was our death of eternal death. And there was not anything that we could do in our own effort or power. Don't believe me? Have you ever tried to quit sinning? <laughs> he, he does that work. That's justification, salvation. And it's a one-time deal and immediately when that happens, the Holy Spirit takes a dwelling in our life, and we are saved for good. We are assured of that. Now, sanctification, this other big church word that talks about becoming more like Christ, okay, this is a process, and this is also the work of God, yet yeah, I would just add that it's with our cooperation, okay? I'm not going to tell you exactly what percentage is God's work and what percentage is ours. I just know that if you sit on the lazy couch of sanctification and do nothing and expect God to somehow, you know, put all of his word in your mind and without any effort at all, it won't happen and you won't grow. Okay? So is that okay to say that, that salvation is God's work alone and sanctification is God's work alone but with our cooperation? Okay, and that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, this taking off of the old self and putting on the new. Last week, we went through a list of things uh, that we needed to just put to death, things that it's, it's time to set them aside. They are of the old nature. They are of the old Brian, and those things don't need to be keep hanging around in our life. It's time to put on or clothe ourselves with some, some new things instead, and both are needed, okay, if Remember our first week we said that our command was to keep our minds set on things above. If we're going to do that, then we're going to have to both put off some old things and take on some new things. They're both needed, okay? So let's dive into our passage, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, or clothe yourselves as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, five things, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then he adds a bonus to the list of five. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. That's God's word. It's true. And it is profitable for us, so it's our job to, to dive in and say, well, how is it to be profitable for us? The three things I want us to look at in the first half of this passage are the mandate, the motive, and the manner. The, mo- the mandate, in verse, uh, in, in verse 12, he says to put on then, or clothe yourselves with, and then he lists these five things compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So put on then as God's chosen ones. And then he adds the bonus in verse 14, and above all, put on love. Put on then, this word then refers to the unity that we talked about last week in verse 11. Do you remember what that said? I'll remind you here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. When we come to Christ, we are unified in the universal church, capital C, okay? That's that's everyone who is redeemed, that has a relationship with the Redeemer. If that's you and you know that's you, you're part of this universal church and God has called us to unity. We are unified in that thing alone. And even though we all look different, act different, come from different places, we are unified in Christ. So he says, put on then, so if you are part of this universal church, put on then these things. In Christ, in the unity of being God's chosen people, these racial, cultural, and sociological differences are set aside. And that's only possible in a community where love is the rule. That's why he separated love, said you have to put this on above all others because it helps to to satisfy all the others as well. It kind of summarizes them. Love has to be the rule. And these are the character qualities that allow for that unity in the church to flourish. If we don't put these on, if we don't have that unity in our church, whether it's this local church family or the church all over the world, when you meet a brother and sister in Christ, if there's not that unity, then things will start to crumble all around us. That's where we hear about churches that are, that are splitting up and, and people that are, that are uh, at odds with one another all the time inside the church. Paul is saying... That should not be. Let's go over this list. The first one he says to put on is compassionate hearts or or just compassion, mercy, sympathy. We were just talking outside. I'm not really strong in some of these areas. If you've taken those spiritual gifts test in the last couple of weeks, you maybe are learning some things about how God is is making you and and how how your personality fits in with some of the things that you could be doing to build up the church. I took it. I got a zero on mercy. Um, (laughs) Not all of us are strong at everything. Brooke's really good at that, so we're a good fit for one another. Ainsley gets hurt, and I say, get tough, and Brooke goes and buys her an ankle brace, you know? So, <laughs> so we are a good fit to, to work together for that. 
But, but we are supposed to put them on. So let me say, just because I scored low in that on some kind of online test doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to clothe myself in mercy and sympathy, that I am supposed to hurt with others when they are hurting. And, and so as we are putting these things on, we're growing in Christ. This, this, this um, sanctification is a process. Justification, we said this last week, it happens immediate and it's done. You don't have to keep earning your salvation. You are declared righteous at that point. And if God and the good, good father he is would declare you righteous at that moment, why in the world would he ever take it away? That would not make sense. So you are assured of that at that moment. But sanctification, he doesn't just snap his fingers and make you perfect godly at that moment. That's a process. And so we're to put these things on. So if you say to me, well, Brian, I am not good at mercy. I'm just like you. That doesn't give you an out to be mean and, and cold-hearted to everyone. No, we're supposed to work on these things. Compassion. And I'm going to continue to work on that. Okay? Number two is kindness. Now, this is, this is the opposite of being severe. This isn't just going around doing nice things for people. This is, this is the opposite of, of, you know, cutting everything short because you're just moving on. It's, it's gentle. It's good. It's, it's being a kind person in general. Kindness. You know people who are kind, right? It just seems like no matter what, you enjoy being around people that are kind. They'll listen to your stupid stories even though they probably don't care. You know, they, they will talk with you and, and, and seem like they have nothing else to do that day so they can just sit with you all day long and listen to you. They're kind. They're, they'll sit around with you. It's gentle. It's good. Does that make sense? Kindness. Some of us are not like that. This is another one that I struggle with. <laughs> this has been a very convicting week as I prepare for this. I, I have this list of things that I want to accomplish, and, and, when, and when things start to, to get in my way, and I can tell really quick if that's important or not, at least to me. And if it's not, I am severe in cutting it short and moving on to the thing that I got to do. And I'm sorry if I've ever hurt any of you and your feelings for doing that. And I promise I'm going to work on it, okay? Thank you. Thank you. I am going to continue to work on being kind and compassionate. I think we know this. We know what that means when he says kindness. The next one is humility. Verse 12 says that we are God's what? His chosen ones. His chosen ones. Not because of anything we did to deserve it, but because of his grace. So there's really nothing for you to be proud about, especially when it comes to your position with God. So humility towards others is really the only way to act, okay? Sometimes we think that because we are in the universal church that now there is this special thing, which there is, but it's not because of who we are or anything we've done. It's only because of God's grace that we're in this spot. So looking down on others who are struggling with things that we used to struggle with but we don't struggle with anymore, that's not humility. Does that make sense? When someone uh, begins to fall into sin and we just turn our nose up and go, I can't believe he or she would do that. That's not acting in humility. In his letter to the Philippians, he says it this way in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul loves the unity of the church. It's important to him. 
And so what does he say in verse three? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, here's our key word, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is not what the world teaches us, is it? I mean, every advertisement I see is about me being the most important person in the world. He says, no, count others more significant than yourselves. That's humility, true humility. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us the example. Who, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, so I read the whole thing. The point is, we are to be humble just as Jesus, our Savior and Lord, was humble. If there was anyone ever in history who didn't have to be humble, it's God. And yet he chose to come as a lowly servant, as a human being, the people that he had created in the beginning, and then to die for those people. And in his example, Paul says here to put on humility. The next one in line is meekness. This is, this is gentle. Another strike three for Brian. This is the opposite of what guys are supposed to be in this world, right? We're supposed to be tough and, 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 and hard and, and strong, not gentle and meek. We think, we think, oh, that's weak. Instead of meekness, we think weakness. But man, Jesus, again, was an incredible example to us. Gentleness is a character trait we need to put on. As I get older, I am more drawn to men who are gentle and meek and kind and soft than those who just walk around acting like they're everything. I think part of that is because as I get older, I see that those men, they're secure in who they are. It doesn't mean they're not strong physically, right? It just means that they understand what the characteristics of Jesus looked like, and they're trying to clothe themselves with that. They're putting that on. If I find a man who is gentle and kind and meek, I believe right away, I bet he knows Jesus because that's not normally the way that a man would live. So we're to put that on, gentleness, meekness. Doesn't mean you can't stand up for your family, okay? Doesn't, doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean you can't be the protector that God's put you there to be. But we're, but we're just a little bit slower to those, those things. And we're okay with being gentle and meek. The last one in the list of five is patience. I think we all know what that means. Patience. I think, first of all, patient with your spouse. Are you quick to, to, uh, to, to jump on them when they don't react the way you wish they would have reacted when you say something? Are you patient with them when they make a mistake? What about our children? Are we patient with them? Are we going to allow them to grow up and, 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 and make those mistakes? Are we impatient? Yesterday, uh, I took Braxton to the drive chip and putt contest and up in St. Augustine. We had a great couple of days, got to see the Golf Hall of Fame. It was, it was fantastic. And he is in love with golf history. 
You know, I mean, it's been around for almost a thousand years. But one thing I noticed was that there were a lot of dads out there just making fools of themselves with their kids. Okay, there's, there's hundreds of kids out there, ages 7 to 16. They're going to hit three drives, three chips, and three putts. Okay? I mean, if you're watching the Open Championship right now, you have seen guys shank the ball off the tee and put it in the burn there on 18. And, and those are guys who are getting paid this weekend. Braxton didn't get a paycheck. Neither did any of those kids out there. And I saw a dad, after his nine-year-old girl hit three drives, yank the driver out of her hand and go, I can't believe this, and stormed off. And the left, the little nine-year-old girl just looking there. Man, he wasn't patient with her. I saw another dad just shake his head in disgust and turn around and walk away when his little girl chunked a chip. I was so embarrassed for them, and I kept praying, God, please don't let me act like that. <laughs> because... I can sometimes be impatient. I can sometimes be tough on Braxton. Um, you know, he's a boy. I want him to grow up and be like all these things. He's strong, tough. Man, but, but we got to be patient with them. We got to be patient. How about our employees? If you're an employer, are you patient with them? What's your reputation as an employer from your employees? Are you one that's patient or impatient? Are we patient with those people around us as we drive? I know that's a big joke, but, but we should be patient. We don't know where they're going. They might just be really poor drivers, so just be careful, okay? Finally, the bonus one is this, is love. And by separating it here, Paul, he emphasizes its importance. Love summarizes the other five. Like I said before, if you don't live in a rule of love in your home, in your church family, in the universal church, then we'll never have the unity that he's calling us to have. We have to have love. We can discipline ourselves, but if we don't have love behind it, 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 it means nothing. I think Paul in 1 Corinthians says that when you do all these good things but you don't have love as the motive behind it, you sound like a, 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 a gong that just keeps clanging, which is annoying. We don't have an actual real symbol or else I'd hit it over and over again. But you can imagine if I hit a symbol over and over and over again, it just gets louder and louder and louder and it's bouncing off the walls, you would be holding your ears. That's annoying. God says that's a person who is living, even if he's trying to do good things without love as a motive, that's what it sounds like to him. Love. So that's our mandate, to put these things on. So number two, we said the next thing we have is the motive. What is our motive for putting these things on? Look at what he says then in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This sounds just like Peter in his letter to the exiles who were being persecuted. In 1 Peter, he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are holy. We're a new people. We're chosen. We're pure. We're clean. Morally, we are, we're set apart. That's what holy means. And if we're set apart, then we're different. And I love how Peter says, he says that we're for his own possession. This life is not our own. It's his. He bought us. He purchased us. We belong to him. And our role here on this earth is to proclaim him with our words and with our lives. 
We are to proclaim him. Too often our motives are self-centered rather than God-centered. We want to maintain our reputation before others. Sometimes we try to act good because we really care more about what other people think of us. Or we just want to feel good about ourselves because when we act mean to people, we feel bad inside. So our motive is self-centered rather than God-centered. You remember the story of Joseph when he was enticed by Potiphar's wife? Remember that story? He didn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because, you know, if my boss finds out, he'll cut my head off. No, that's, that's not what he said. He said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? His motivation for morality was God-centered. It wasn't self-centered. And because of that, it was acceptable to God. So our motive then is our new identity. We are a chosen, holy, beloved people of God. And if that's the case, our motive to living rightly should be in order to please our heavenly Father. It's our, it's our lifestyle. Our behavior should be consistent with our new identity in Christ. If you go around telling people that you're a Christian and you're using God's name attached to yours, Christ, Christian, then your behavior needs to fit that identity. I mean, we talk about that all the time at home. I asked Braxton Ainsley, what's your last name? It's Williams. You didn't get to choose it. That's my name. That's Papa's name. That's Granddaddy Clyde's name. That's Granddaddy Hobart's name. Don't tell people your last name is Williams and act like a fool. Okay, that comes back on me. That's my name. Well, this is, this is what we do all the time. We go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I belong to so-and-so church, and then we go out and we act like a fool. What, what is that doing to the reputation of Christ? Our behavior, our characteristics need to be in line with our new identity in Christ. So we put on this new self. That is our motive, our identity. Number three, the manner. So how do we go about doing all these things? Verse 13 says this, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. These statements describe the manner in which we are to carry out this mandate, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if one has a complaint. In a group made up of these different races and, and cultures and, and, and sociologic uh, people, Complaints and grievances are definitely going to come up. Would you agree? I mean, even if you only hang out with people that are just like you, eventually something comes up and you have a complaint against one another. So in a diverse group like the Capital C Universal Church, there's definitely going to be things that come up that rub us the wrong way. And what does he say when that happens? Just deal with it. Put up with one another. Forgive as needed. You don't have to, like, cling to justice and make sure they get what's coming to them. Just, just let it roll off your back. Forgive them even. I love how the New Living Translation says this. Make allowance for each other's faults. In our small group, that's like my, my I champion that phrase. Because if we're going to live together, we got to make some space for everyone to mess up. I mean, if we're so quick to jump on people when they do wrong, then we should expect that to come back to us the moment we do wrong. We got to make some space, make allowance for each other's faults. Instead, we need to forgive them. And how do we do that? What does he say? Just as the Lord has forgiven you. Doesn't that sound familiar in the Lord's Prayer? You can find it once in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts. Do you know this? As we 
forgive our debtors. He continues in verse 14, says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, the reconciliation that the gospel brings, it's, it's not only vertical, it's also horizontal. It's outward to our Christian brothers and sisters. The mandate, the motive, and the manner. Our passage that we've been studying here ends with these three verses, 15, 16, and 17. Let's read those. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we get ready to close up, there's four things I want, to, I want you to see. Inside the church, not just this church, but inside the big capital C church, all the redeemed who have a relationship with their redeemer. Four things. Number one, prioritize the peace of Christ. He says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule in your hearts. We were called to peace. We were called to be a peaceful people. Do you remember when Jesus was, was on trial? If there was ever anyone that was being wrongly accused, was it him? And yet he let the peace that only comes from God, rule in his heart. He knew his motive, he knew his mandate, and he knew the manner of how he was going to go about doing it. And he let the peace rule in his heart, and he did that for us. Prioritize the peace of Christ. If you can think of relationships where in your life they would not be defined as peaceful, that's the first place you need to start. What are those relationships that you see on a daily, weekly basis, even monthly, that you would describe as definitely not a peaceful relationship? Whether it's your fault or the other person's fault, that's the first place to start. Let the peace of Christ to which you are called rule in your hearts. Seek to be peaceful with everyone, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your co-workers, your bosses, your employees, the other parents that are involved at the sporting events that your kids do. Seek to be at peace with all people. Number two, prioritize gratitude to Christ. He tells us to, to be thankful in verse 15. He tells us to sing with thankfulness in verse 16. He tells us giving thanks. We, our gratitude to Christ should be a priority for us. What's the old song? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It's not just because you want to say, I'm blessed. No, it's because we're supposed to have an attitude of gratitude behind that. All the things that he has done for us. I need to prioritize my gratitude to Christ. If you start your day on your knees thanking him for all those blessings, that's a really good place to start. 
If you're the kind of person who jumps out of bed and hits the, the ground running because you like to sleep to the very last second, I would encourage you to wake up five minutes earlier and spend some time setting your mind and prioritizing gratitude to Christ. And let us not forget, yeah, we like to think of all the earthly blessings that we have because all good things come from the Father of lights above. But the one main thing that we could never have done for ourselves is what? We have to be grateful for the sacrifice he made for us in our place. Took our spot on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Prioritize gratitude to Christ. Number three, my favorite, prioritize the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, even singing the word. This is not just for the pastors because he wasn't writing just to a group of pastors. Did you know all people who are involved in this capital C church should allow God's word to dwell in us richly? How does that happen? You have to read it. I've been saying that now for three weeks. You got to read it. Again, if you're the kind of person who waits to the last second to wake up because you love to sleep, I just told you to wake up five minutes earlier. Now I want another 40 minutes or so. So just go ahead and set your alarm 45 minutes earlier tomorrow. Spend some time getting your heart set on prioritizing gratitude to Christ and then prioritize his word in your life. It's the only thing that changes us. Remember in, in John chapter 17, he's praying. This is the third time I've said this this series And Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer to the Father. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's plan for your sanctification is his word. You will not grow spiritually. You will not take off the things we're supposed to put to death or put on the things that we're supposed to take on unless you stay here and you allow his word to dwell in you richly. That's all I want to say about that. Number four prioritize the reputation of Christ. This is a a verse that you maybe have memorized. If not, I would encourage you to. Chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever. He's not even talking about when you just come into the church house on Sunday mornings. He's talking about whatever you do in that daily normal things of life. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We have to prioritize the reputation of Christ. Absolutely everything that believers do must be done in the name of our Lord. And with this phrase, the the Christian's entire life is placed under obedience to the Lord. They must always acknowledge their Lord in their words and actions, in word and deed. Not just on Sunday morning, not just the one day that you set aside for worship, but your entire life, your entire life. There is no special Sunday morning lifestyle that you're supposed to have, and then when you're at work, you're kind of off the hook because God says, well, you know, he's acting that way because, you know, he's got to be the boss, and, and so, you know, it's just, no, 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 no. You are part of the church 24-7, and, and this is Christ's name that you're attaching to yourself. My name is Brian, and I'm a Christian, and the moment I say that, it has to be different. I have to care about the reputation of Christ if I'm going to tell other people I'm a Christian. And when we find things, like in the list from today and last week, in our life, 
that we're still struggling with, what do we do? Well, we give it to the Lord. Remember, this is a process. This isn't about condemnation. If you're not good at certain these things or if you haven't put to death everything from last week's list, it's a process. It's sanctification. But when we are coming face to face with those things and we recognize that those things are still in our life that we should put to death or we recognize those things like mercy and patience and gentleness that we've not put on yet, we don't just go, oh, well, one day I'll be good. No, we begin to work and put them on. We've already given Jesus our heart. Why would we not give him the rest? You know, if I were to give you a really fancy old chess, chess game, you know what chess is? It's like checkers for really smart people. <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to give you a chess board with all those little pieces and things like that, because I really liked you and wanted you to have it, and it had been in my family for 100 years, but I wanted you to have it. And then months later, I found one of the pieces to that chess game. Well, the only thing that would make sense is if I brought it to you and said, hey, I found that missing piece and gave it to you. I already gave you the whole chest set. Keeping that one piece wouldn't make any sense. We've already given the Lord our hearts. And when we find other pieces in our, in our life that he wants, the only thing that makes sense is to give it to him and turn it over. If it's something that we're supposed to put to death, then we put it to death. When he says stop doing something, we stop doing it. When he tells us to put something on, like mercy or meekness or, or patience, then we put it on. We've already vowed to give him our hearts. So we, when he shows us these things, it only makes sense that we give him that part of us also. One day we will be changed. One day. In a moment. And on that day when we see Jesus face to face, it, it will be, uh, we will be completely glorified. But until then... It's this process that God is working in us with our cooperation. Put on the new self, he's saying. Live in light of your identity as God's special, chosen, and adopted children. He's, he's taken us and, and he's made us into his family. Now it's just time to line up our behaviors and our lifestyle with that new identity. Amen? Put on the new self. This passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, two weeks ago we said this is kind of the, the how to live the Christian life in 17 verses. This is something you could never read enough because there's always going to be something in this passage that we find that God says, oh, but we could still work on a little bit here. And we don't do that because we want him to like us more. We don't do these things. Our motivation is not so that we might be more blessed by him. He's already given us the declaration of being justified. We are his. We are part of this capital C church. We are one of the redeemed that has a relationship with our redeemer. It's just time to put on the new self. Can we pray? Father, you are the God of the universe, the one true God, the living God, Yahweh. And out of your graciousness, you have chosen us to be adopted into your family. Father, when we use the word Christian, help us to live in a way that is worthy of that name, Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names. Help us to live in a way that in everything we say and do, little things, middle things, big things, that it would be done to the glory of his name. Father, continue to work on us until that day when we do see you face to face. Help us to put to death the old self. 
and to put on the new. We want to be like you. We want to experience your life, your death, even your sufferings. Do the work, Father. And I pray for unity in our church. Just as Paul was so concerned with the unity of these people, Father, would we be concerned with the unity here at Heritage, but also outside these walls with any of our brothers and sisters? Help us to live in a peaceful way with everyone that we come in contact with so that we would proclaim Jesus in word and deed in all that we do. In your name we pray, Jesus Christ, amen.